The following is a production of Greenville Presbyterian Theological Seminary and is made possible by the generous financial support of our listeners and friends. For more information about the seminary, how you can support it, or applying to become a student, please visit gpts.edu. Hello and welcome to another edition of Confessing Our Hope, the podcast of Greenville Presbyterian Theological Seminary. My name is Zach Groff and I'm your host, also the Director of Advancement and admissions here at the seminary. I have with me today my new boss, Dr. Jonathan Master in the studio. Dr. Master, thank you for joining me. Thanks, Zach. It's great to be here. Dr. Master is president of Greenville Presbyterian Theological Seminary here in beautiful Taylor, South Carolina, associate editor for the Banner of Truth magazine, and co-host of the wildly popular Theology on the Go podcast hosted by the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. Dr. Master is the author of a couple books, including Growing in Grace, forthcoming from the Banner of Truth, and A Question of Consensus, The Doctrine of Assurance After the Westminster Confession, published by Fortress in 2015. He's the co-editor with Dr. David W. Hall of On Reforming Worship, a publication from Covenant Publications in 2018, and editor of The God We Worship, Adoring the One Who Pursues, Redeems, and Changes His People, published by PNR in 2016. He's married to Elizabeth, and they are the parents of two daughters. I've had the privilege of getting to know his family over the last few months as they have recently moved here to Greenville, South Carolina, and I've been eager to have Dr. Master join me on the podcast to discuss what I'm calling, quote, the master plan for Greenville Presbyterian Theological Seminary, end quote. You see what I did there? Since July 1st, I have fielded a number of questions from graduates, supporters, current students, friends, and prospective students about how Dr. Master's able leadership will shape the seminary and carry us into the future. And Dr. Master, in the past, we have had online conversations with you, with Dr. Pipa, about how the faculty under your leadership will carry forward a particular set of theological convictions and educational distinctives that make Greenville Presbyterian Theological Seminary what it is. I would commend those recordings and even that short video to our listeners if they want to catch up on things. But if you were explaining these things to someone who has never heard of us before, what would you say? Well, that's a great question. The first thing I would say is we're a theological seminary and we are have a, a laser-like focus on training men for gospel ministry. We have men who come in who are preparing to be ruling elders, and we occasionally have some other special students who come for other reasons. But by and large, the vast majority of our students come here to train to be pastors. And so because that's our mission and because that's really our whole mission— we are focused on cultivating in these men personal godliness, personal piety. We're also concerned to give them the tools that they need for effective pastoral ministry. We know that to be an effective worker, to be a, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, according to 2 Timothy 2, we have to correctly handle the word of truth. And so we want to give our students the tools that they need to correctly handle God's word. So what we're hoping is that graduates whom God has called to the ministry are going to be trained and mentored in godliness. They'll be concerned about their own personal piety and that they will also be prepared to uh, be a minister of God's word in whatever uh, congregational setting he, he calls them to. Very good. And, and I know that as you were going through the interview process for your current position, you got to know some of our graduates. You certainly got to know our board quite well and, and meet with the faculty on numerous occasions. You and I had the honor of getting together and, and meeting when I was in Philadelphia or when you came down here. And you got to know us a bit, but 
you know, obviously you've gotten to know us a lot better in just the last few months. In fact, you are one of us now. And so if you were to characterize our community as you've gotten to know the faculty and students here since July 1st, what, what would you say? How would you characterize that community as you've gotten to know them? Well, when you reminded me of the whole interview process, uh, I was struck again by the fact that every time I met with a group from the seminary, whether it was the board of trustees or certain members of the board or alumni or faculty members, staff members, students, I was always impressed by their commitment to the things that make us distinctive and by their commitment to uh, personal godliness. Uh, These were uh, men who were committed to uh, ordering their lives in such a way so as to please Christ and and serve him. And, and I have to say that even since moving down here, that's been impressed upon me all the more. I, one of the turning points for me in this whole adjustment process has, was when the students arrived. And seeing the students here, uh, first at convocation and then now in classes and chapels and other things, really reinforced for me what I love about this place and what what first struck me um, about this place was that it was, as one of our uh, local friends and pastors says, a a fraternity of godly men who are focused on, on one task. And I love that line. It's not original with me, but I love that line. And I think it actually captures pretty effectively who we are. It is a great line. Whoever came up with that line is surely a man of great genius and piety himself. Did I get the line right? You got it right. A fraternity of holy men pursuing the ministry together. That's a Rick Phillips-ism, and I love it. And and I tell him that I love that line and use it all the time myself, too. But it you, captures something, doesn't it? It I mean, really does. It's, it's a great line, but it's not just poetic. It really is descriptive, I think, of who we are. I think when people come and visit, whether they're prospective students or just friends who, who come through uh, visiting ministers who come to preach in chapel, that's what they take away as well. I mean, they, they may not use those exact words, but that's essentially what they express. You know, Dr. Phillips is an eloquent man, and so it makes sense that an eloquent line would, would come forth as he thinks about Greenville Seminary, but he speaks as one who knows us well because he's had interns from Greenville Seminary for many years, other students who have come through his church and attended or visited their faculty who have been uh, really at the heart of the congregational fabric, and he's not the only one. You see, we have 45 uh, PCA churches, 44, 45 PCA congregations now, a couple um, BPC congregations, an OPC congregation, about a dozen ARP congregations, and many of these pastors, present and past, have remarked to me at how how grateful they are for the seminary and particularly for our students who go and serve in their churches sacrificially at every level of church life. And, and, and so it's not unique to Second Presbyterian Church of Greenville and Dr. Phillips, as close as our relationship with that congregation is. But in fact, it, it, it would be a report that, uh, that many of our friends in the area would give, uh, maybe with different vocabulary, but certainly in like substance. Yeah, yeah, if I could just expand on that too, Zach, you asked what has struck me and, and I tried to encapsulate that, but I would also say one of the things I did not know or did not fully appreciate until I arrived here was what you just expressed, the number of good churches in the area. I, I, I really am just continually amazed by how in God's providence these congregations have all developed and grown up around here. And really that presents a an unusual opportunity for students studying here. 
because they can plug in, they can receive mentoring and training, they can engage in the worship and life of many, many good churches. There's a concentration here that is unlike any other place that I've experienced in the past. And I think it's a real asset. It's nothing that, of course, any of us can take any credit for. It's not specifically due to the seminary's presence, but but it is something in God's providence that he's brought and that we are beneficiaries of. My family has benefited especially from the warm fellowship of PCA churches uh, here in the area and with our friendships at the OPC and BPC churches and the ARP congregations as well. Um, my, my wife and I arrived here, and I know this was much the same for you and your family. It wasn't a matter of finding a good church. It was a matter of choosing among uh, uh, just an overwhelming selection of great churches. And my family ended up at Woodruff Road Presbyterian Church, and it's been such a blessing to be seated under the solid preaching ministry of Carl Robbins and to be under the care of those elders. Um, I love those men. And, and now that we're moving out to be involved in a church plant with Dr. Piper, the support that these guys at Woodruff Road are giving us in terms of prayer and encouragement has been, has been just so meaningful to us. And, um, and, and again, they're not the, these are not the only congregations of worth here. There are so many. And so if you're a prospective student listening, this is one of my major selling points for the seminary as the admissions director. But moving on, you mentioned uh, your interactions with students in the classroom, at convocation, and then particularly in chapel. You know, you've taken up the mantle at Dr. Piper's encouragement of preaching each week um, or most weeks on Wednesdays in our chapel service. And it kind of elicits a question from me as you consider our community, as you consider the student body today, and as you preach to them and exhort them and encourage them and even admonish, reprove, and build up and, and comfort them, what do you want our students and graduates to be known for in the future? What kind of men do you envision Greenville Seminary graduates being once they leave from here and enter into pulpit ministry? Well, right now, I, I'm using that time to preach through what I'm calling the Davidic decline, this time of judgment after David's horrific sin with Bathsheba, and, and largely uh, to to serve as a kind of warning and also a, a, uh, a reminder of the Lord's faithfulness to his promises and the Lord's providential work. But, you know, the, the place that I would go and the, the place that I have returned to again and again in the Bible when I think about what I want is actually uh, the, the text that I alluded to early, earlier, 2 Timothy 2. Paul describes there in 2 Timothy 2 not only what it means to be an approved worker, that is one who, who doesn't need to be ashamed, who correctly handles the word of truth, but then he also describes a little bit of what the character of such a minister's uh, preaching and teaching ministry should be. He, he says that the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, uh, correcting his opponents with gentleness that God may perhaps grant them repentance. And I think it's this model of faithful, Christ-centered uh, ministry of the Word, long-term ministry of the Word, relying on God's Spirit and 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 uh, and practicing these these characteristics that that I would hope for and pray for for our graduates and and look that's not an easy thing we are all prone to veer off course in one direction or another in fact Paul describes that in that same chapter he he talks about youthful passions he talks about uh, controversies that can that can be stirred up that are uh, uh, foolish controversies and so there are all kinds of pitfalls along the way but that's what I would like to see and I have to say this Zach one of the great privileges that I've had 
even in these unusual times where travel hasn't been as easy and access to people hasn't been quite the same as it normally is, I've had the opportunity to either meet with alumni or to speak with them on the phone, and I've tried to kind of work my way through our 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 um, our records. Although I, I I certainly haven't made my way through, but I've been able to, to meet and talk to a number of people, and it has really impressed me the number of our graduates who are doing just that, who are faithfully preaching and teaching the word, enduring the difficulties that that kind of ministry uh, brings a, brings about, and 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 then also uh, simply just doing the work that that God's called us to do. So that that's that's the model I would have in my in my mind. Now we've spoken about um, some of the the continuities between uh, Doctor. Piper's presidency, and even before that, here at Greenville Seminary, and today, and moving forward into the future. We've also covered a lot of that groundwork in the past on other programs, but one of the pressing questions that a lot of people have been posing to me, and I think I've been answering it well, but I would like to hear your answer, and one of the pressing questions is, what kinds of changes are you hoping to introduce as president here at the seminary? It's probably the question I've been asked more than any other since I've been here, and understandably so. Dr. Pipe has had such a a long and significant uh, ministry here as president. He's still continuing, of course, as a professor, and and we still meet regularly. In fact, we we were at lunch today together. So so he he's not withdrawn in that sense at all, but a slightly different role. Um, so the question of changes, I, I think that the changes that I envision for the future are probably more on the operational end. We are reaching a point for uh, some faculty members where where they may be, you know, one, one faculty member is going to retire at the end of this year, and we know that already, and he's spoken to us about it, and, and that, that kind of thing is going to happen. And so overseeing those changes to the faculty, those are critical decisions and 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 they really can change the makeup of a place uh for for the better or for the worse i suppose but um but but i would say mainly they're going to be operational changes but i don't envision certainly theological changes the way i actually answer the question and i i should have started with this because it's normally where i start is when people ask me that i say you know i think that one of my major jobs is to make sure that the big things don't change that our commitment to personal godliness doesn't change, that our commitment to uh, our uh, confessions doesn't change, that our commitment to the Bible doesn't change, that our commitment to biblical languages doesn't change. I was speaking recently with a leader of another seminary, and he talked about the race to the bottom in theological education, that that we see seminaries all around us uh, cutting back on their curricular requirements, cutting back on some of these traditional classical um kinds of uh, uh, requirements for, for seminary students. And and I want to make sure we don't do that kind of thing. So there will be changes, of course. There, there, there inevitably always are. But, you know, I, I really want to be faithful to, to those things that, that we're all um, committed to. You know, one of the things that our listeners may not be completely aware of is the fact that Greenville Seminary has experienced explosive growth over the last 20 years under Dr. Piper's leadership, and then more recently over the last few years in terms of admissions and in terms of, uh, of of our support network. And we're extremely grateful to the Lord for prospering the work of our hands here, uh, really above and beyond our merit personally or our competencies or our own experience in these things. The Lord has has really grown the seminary. And we are getting to the point where we're, we're 
looking at our operational processes, particularly in the areas of communications, registration, and, and recruiting, and we're asking, um, asking the Lord and also thinking through these issues of, you know, how, how do we how do we steward this opportunity with with greater excellence? How do we do what we're doing more effectively? And I think Dr. Master brings a wealth of experience uh, to the table in terms of uh, working in a, a larger educational uh, context and um, and bringing some you know very valuable experience as well as most importantly uh, you know, a set of convictions that aligns with ours and a commitment to personal godliness that would certainly align with ours. And so I'm excited about some of the things that we're even now already introducing and some of the projects we're working on and, and looking ahead. And uh, from my vantage point, it's been really an exciting time and, and a lot of fun. Yeah, I mean, I, I would say the same thing. It is exciting. It's exciting to see what the Lord has done in growing Greenville Seminary, uh, even even in recent months. I know that uh, talking to Dr. Piper when we first we're coming down here. It was right at the beginning of the, the the COVID shutdowns and things, and and he was praying, and I began to pray as well along with him that the Lord would not not um, would actually even allow us to to expand and and to continue to thrive even in the midst of th- this downturn. And and he really has. And so with that kind of growth, with that kind of thriving, which we give thanks to the Lord for, we do have to always look and say, how can we do things? Uh, differently? How do we need to do things differently to, to steward those those resources? And Dr. Master, I have a, another kind of follow-up question to this, but broadening out a bit, as, as we consider the state of evangelical seminary education in America today, you talked about the race to the bottom, but we should also be alarmed by compromises and issues regarding perennial concerns, such as the authority and reliability of Scripture, the degradation of worship and preaching, and the intrusion of anti-Christian ideologies into both the church and the classroom. What is the leadership of the seminary, the board, the faculty, uh, yourself, your own office, what are you all doing today to ensure that we remain faithful in these areas well into the future? Yeah, it's so sad when you look at the history of the church and the history of seminary education, how these battles seem to emerge uh, at least every generation, sometimes multiple times in each generation. And uh, so we have to be vigilant. Uh, that's the first thing. And, I, and I'm so grateful to uh, the, the, the Lord for, for the board that we have here in the faculty. I've, I've, I've often sort of joked to people, even if I wanted to change things and, and to uh, sort of slide on our commitment to scripture or our commitment to uh, worship and preaching, even if I had that agenda, which of course I don't, uh, there was, there's no way I could get away with it here. Because the reality is that our board is in lockstep on these things. Our faculty is in lockstep. Uh, and, and, and I give thanks to the Lord for that. So um, what, what I would say by way of an, an agenda is we have to be vigilant. We have to be thoughtful. Uh, we don't want to simply be reactionary. Uh, but we also have to be prepared knowing that these are battles we're going to have to fight. I mean, the reality is as much as we may want to avoid conflict on these issues with the, with the broader church or certainly with the world, uh, conflict will be thrust upon us. We, we can't avoid it. And, and so we have to be prepared and, and, and ready to, to stand our ground on, on all of these things. Uh, you know, we know that difficult days will come. We know that we are pilgrims and we know that we are citizens of heaven. We know that 
the Lord tells us that those who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And that's true for individuals, but it's, it's true for institutions like ours too. So that kind of vigilance, that kind of awareness and, and readiness to joyfully enter into those debates when and if necessary is, is something that we always have to have in front of us. Speaking to those, those uh, issues where, where you are called to contend earnestly for the faith, the faith once for all delivered to the saints, some of our listeners will surely be interested to hear you speak to the seminary's longstanding commitments to full subscription to the Westminster Standards, Six-Day Creation, and Historic Presbyterianism. Where would these concerns rank in terms of importance to our curriculum and, and to you personally? I, I don't know if I could rank them one, two, three, but they're all significant. And, and, and you know, these things, there are different flashpoints at different, at different times, at different moments. So uh, that doesn't mean that you're ever lessening a commitment to one of these. I, I wouldn't lessen, a commitment, lessen my commitment to any of those things you mentioned at all. Uh, all of all of these things are, are significant, but but you know I think in terms of ranking, some of that would just depend on the situation that we find ourselves in. There are other things you could add to that list that may not have been emphasized by us in the past, even though they've already they've always been a part of our our teaching. Um, but they may need to be emphasized because they'll be come under assault. So so you know there's not. There's not a lessening of our commitment there. Um, as I said, uh, from time to time, there may be there may be things that we emphasize, uh, but that's a reflection more of the battles that are thrust upon us rather than than our own um, concern for these matters. I think that's an excellent point that you just made. That that you know these particular uh, flashpoints, as you said, are are things that have been thrust upon us. You know, the the subscription issue was one that was hard fought in the PCA at the turn of the century, and that's really when Greenville Seminary kind of rose up as being known as as being the strict subscriptionist school. The six day creation issue again, something that that came through the OPC and the PCA. There were study committee reports with Greenville Seminary faculty featured in each of them. And again, it was a flashpoint for us because it was a question being asked in the church. And this is something that the seminary has sought to be from day one, and that is a resource to the church locally in terms of uh, local ministry service, but then also nationally and broadly in terms of uh, working on theological issues, asking difficult questions, and searching the scriptures for answers and, and I, I appreciate how you, how you balance that out. We don't want to be reactive, but at the same time, we're sensitive to the church's concerns and not trying to make fights ourselves. No, that's something. exactly right. And, and the other thing I would say is, you know, with, with these kinds of issues, these hot-button issues, I think it's always incumbent upon us, and particularly at maybe a board level and at the level of what I'm asked to do, it's always incumbent upon us to make sure that those don't, somehow become the central matter for our students. So we're going to fight those battles if we need to fight them. Um, and, and we're going to stand for those things because we believe in them. But, but I do not want a student to graduate here and to somehow think that um, whatever the particular presenting issue of their term here was, is the most important thing that has to you know, be returned to again and again and again. We, we want to exalt Christ. We want to preach the word. We want to be faithful to the doctrine that's been handed down to us that we've 
all affirmed. That, that's what we really want to be about and, and, and personal godliness in our lives and families. That's a very helpful reminder that in all of our combating for the truth, we must maintain a balance of promoting truth as well as defending against error. And now as we consider defending against error, though, we continue this conversation a little bit further, uh, moving out from the past and, and things that we've dealt with in the past and stands that we've taken and we continue to, to maintain, uh, and we look forward to what is assaulting the church now, there are a couple issues that come to mind. The first is this issue of a creeping event, uh, egalitarianism, a creeping egalitarianism in the American church expressing itself as so-called reformed feminism, gay Christianity, and even transgender ideology. You know, my own appraisal of this, and I've, I've discussed this with some of our graduates here locally, is that at the heart of all of these things is a, is a distorted theological anthropology, uh, a view of man that seeks to replace distinctions with androgyny, thus breaking down any differences for the sake of egalitarianism. My question to you, Dr. Master, as president of the seminary, is what role does the seminary, in particular Greenville Presbyterian Theological Seminary, have in engaging with these issues? What role does the seminary have in equipping men to minister to other men and women who are dealing with these things at personal and intellectual levels? Well, let me start by saying that I agree with your assessment. This is uh, an increasing problem, and there are all kinds of complicated historical reasons why that's the case at our point in history in the modern West. Uh, there, so it's, it's not a simple uh, problem, and it's not going away. Um, these things are, are deeply embedded in other assumptions that many uh, people in our churches hold, and, and they haven't really thought through the implications of them. So I think um, you're also right to say that these are things that are dealt with by the scriptures, that getting our, our anthropology right is going to go a long way to sorting out some of these things. So I think in terms of the seminary's role, one of our roles is to provide clarity there are terms being used and approaches to issues being um, propagated within within our churches that are simply based on unbiblical assumptions, and we one of our roles is to act in in sh- sort of shining a spotlight on that and, and and making clear what biblical truth is and how biblical truth can be brought to bear to some of these things. That involves often making careful distinctions and analyzing. Uh, the roots of, of some of these philosophies and, and faulty theologies. So bringing clarity, I think, is one of our roles. Uh, in terms of, you know, turning it to the students, we have to prepare our students to minister in a, a world that is increasingly dominated by these kinds of ideologies. And we have to actually prepare our students to help their people diagnose these things um, one of the things that I am constantly surprised by is the extent to which these ideas are often accepted uncritically um, and uh, within what we think of as conservative evangelical reformed churches. So providing clarity and then training our students, and part of training our students means preparing them. Uh, we would be remiss if we were uh, giving our students medical training exclusively from a medical textbook that was written uh, 75 years ago, because there have been advances in understanding and advances in diagnostic tools. And similarly, it's not an exact analogy, but similarly, we have to be preparing our students for the kinds of 
challenges they will face today. That doesn't mean we are changing our message. That doesn't mean we are in any way compromising on the truth. It doesn't mean we're abandoning old sources. Certainly not. Those are among the most valuable usually. But but it does mean that we are preparing our students to say this is the this is what your your churches are. This is the air they're breathing. This is the 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 pond they're swimming in, so to speak. And and you need to be prepared to bring God's word to bear on that um, issue. And so and and really on that constellation of issues as as you've laid it out. So we have to stand firm. We have to provide clarity. And we have to uh, train our our men well. Another hot button issue right now has to do with so-called woke theology. And as the social gospel seems to be gaining steam once again in evangelical churches under the dress of social justice concerns, what stance does Greenville Presbyterian Theological Seminary take on this issue? Do we have to accommodate woke theology in order to combat more effectively other seemingly more pressing issues? How, How exactly are we dealing with these things? With respect to the last part of your question, that idea, that logic is is flawed. Uh, we we don't compromise in one area in order to have a hearing in another area. Uh, we have to be people of the truth, people who are committed to the truth, people who are committed to telling the truth and not and not affirming a lie. So you know, with respect to woke theology, again, it's difficult because uh, sometimes you have to tease out exactly what someone means by this. I would say there are a couple distinct issues. With respect to the church, uh, the reality is that the church has a, a spiritual calling, and ministers of the gospel have a spiritual calling, a high spiritual calling. And, and for them to uh, conflate that, confuse that, with um, duties that we might have as individual Christian people uh, to one another, to our neighbors, uh, is is ultimately going to uh, cloud and muddy the, the gospel message and the clarity with which the church needs to be preaching the gospel. So I think that that um, dis, that uh, distinctive, sometimes sometimes called the the spirituality of the church, is one that is significant in this uh, woke theology matter. I, I think also, though, you, you need to be uh, prepared to equip individual cr- Christians. And again, I would go back to the categories that I raised earlier. Uh, part of that is going to be clarifying. Uh, sometimes you need to diagnose and say, look, th- this this may sound superficially compatible with your Bible, but, but look at these deep ways in which it is incompatible. And then some of it is just going to be combating because even after the clarification process, there, there are those out there in the church who are going to simply say, you're wrong on this. And that's where we need to be prepared to, to stand on, on what the scriptures teach. So essentially what you're saying to me about these issues is we mustn't crumple under them, but rather deal lovingly and pastorally with people, even as we take every thought captive and seek to tear down intellectual strongholds that are opposed to the advancing kingdom of grace and the conquering King Christ of truth. Yeah, we will ultimately accomplish nothing of lasting value by compromising on the truth. Now, at the same time, I have to say, and, and listen, we all of us by temperament fall on different sides of this uh, temptation, but at the same time, we are called to, uh, to engage in that fight in a certain way. 
and and not in the way that so many do engage, particularly in our age that's governed by social media and and kind of shock uh, statements uh, and 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 then and then even cancel culture and that kind of thing. None, none of that has, in my opinion, any any uh, place in, in the in a in a a gospel ministry that's shaped by the Word of God. I think that vision that you've cast as president is really useful, and and I hope our students and prospective students are listening to this and and weighing these things um, just as much as I am right now sitting here with you. Now, shifting gears a little bit, now that you've been in the saddle for a few months, what has struck you the most about the community here at the seminary? Yeah, I think I mentioned earlier that when the students finally arrived, I'd been here a couple of months, but when the students finally arrived, it was it was this major turning point, just a, a real boost. I, I mean, I I was loving it already. It wasn't that, but it was just it, seeing them as is just a tremendous encouragement. So what has struck me the most, it, honestly, is that I think the culture of the place reflects the kinds of things we've been discussing. Um, I, I'm so grateful that the board is not asking me to turn the ship around culturally in terms of uh, what our students care about, what they talk about. We have students here who are, I would say, to a man, they are committed to their local churches. They're there. They're they're involved. They're invested. That's what they care about and love. They're 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 concerned about themselves and their own spiritual lives, and and they're, they're praying. They're 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 praying with their families. They're 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 engaged in the study of the scriptures. They're they're looking at their courses in exactly the right way. That is, they're diligently pursuing them. They're studying hard, but they're they're integrating the them the the course material with their own personal spiritual walk with Christ and and their future ministries. I see that in the classroom. I have the privilege of teaching a, a class, and it is just such a joy to see that. These are guys who who want correction, who want instruction, uh, and, and who are sort of soaking it up. Uh, yes, of course, to do well and to in their classes and, and to make the best use of their talents and opportunities, but really more than that, for their own personal spiritual growth and for their future ministries. So that's what's really impressed me about it, is that that is a sort of top-to-bottom culture here. It's in the floorboards, and, and, it, and, I, and I have a hard time describing that to anyone who's never been here, but to the people who have been here, I don't have to use too many words because they, they see it, they sense it, they feel it. And the students don't get this out of nowhere, at least myself. It's modeled for me by the faculty. And you know, Dr. McGoldrick teaches a Sunday school down at Second Presbyterian Church. Dr. McGraw and Dr. Curto serve on the session of Covenant Community at Orthodox Presbyterian Church. Dr. Piper is the organizing pastor of Antioch Presbyterian Church and was moderator of Calvary Presbytery last year. And we have adjunct faculty who are pastors either locally or uh, elsewhere in the country. And so it's, it's been a real delight to, to see that modeled and to see my classmates take up the example because it spurs me on to get out of my books and to get where the action is, and that is the local church. And by action, I don't mean controversies and fights. I mean, you know, ministering with people, sitting with someone at, at their bedside when they're dying or, or visiting a, a young family as they welcome their first child into the world or, or you know, attending funerals and weddings and, and being in corporate worship Sunday morning and evening. These are the things that we're preparing to do for a lifetime. 
And it's so encouraging that our faculty encourage us and even make allowance for us to be as involved as possible uh, in the here and now while we're training and preparing for that uh, for that season of life where we'll be kind of running things. I don't know. I mean, I guess leading work. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you know, I, I and I, it sounds so obvious, except that it's unusual. Um, in point of fact, it's just it's just not the norm in in many of our institutions, but. The reality is, why would we want students, or why would we accept the idea that students wouldn't have this kind of devotion to the local church, devotion to their own personal piety, and and yet then still send them out with these glowing recommendations to churches? I mean, it's, it makes no sense, and yet it actually is the norm, but it's not the norm here at Greenville, and I'm so thankful to the Lord for that. Uh, I, I pray every day uh, that that will continue, and that Maybe in some way I'll be used to uh, to to cause us to remain faithful to that that kind of ethos. You know, it's a funny saying among some of our old time graduates: uh, if Greenville Seminary ever goes liberal or ever abandons these convictions, then they'll come back and burn the place down. But I love I love that. <laughs> I mean, I, I really do. I yeah. we're not encouraging uh, arson. encouraging arson, <laughs> right? But no, but I mean. Y- y- I, I, I get that distinct impression, not in a not in a mean-spirited way, but from yeah. people saying, no, what we believe in is what you stand for. Yeah. And and what we are committed to is what you stand for. And the, it's the same way on the board. Yeah. It really is. Top to bottom. It's a principled place. You know, we care about each other personally. We love each other. We're friends. We're brothers. Um, but we don't allow that to overrule our commitment to the truth. Um, because without the truth, then the whole thing just falls apart, and it's not worth being a part of the fellowship uh, that exists. Um, I have a couple other questions on a bit more of a personal level with you. I'm, I'm sure our listeners would be interested to hear this. What has your day to day looked like? You know, what what does the president of Greenville Seminary go about doing? You know, one one marked change I'll remark on this uh, for our listeners' sake. Dr. Piper, as president, would teach a full teaching load. The board this time has asked Dr. Master not to do that, at least to start, but rather to focus on his presidential duties while teaching a couple of classes. So he's teaching one class this semester, one class next semester, as he kind of gets situated. So with that background in mind, Dr. Master, what does your day-to-day look like? I'm so glad that I'm in the classroom at least at least one time a semester. I wouldn't want to not be in at all, but I think the board was wise in their advice to me. I, I Lately, and, and you know this, Zach, because you and I have been involved with it, lately I've been traveling almost every weekend. I think uh, I've I maybe had one weekend where I've been here in the last couple months. And so that's, um, that's joy, uh, meeting alumni, meeting new friends, uh, being able to preach and, and also uh, sit down with people. That is that is a joy, but there has been a travel element uh, for sure. On a day to day level, it really depends. I mean, I do have my uh, class, as you mentioned. I do preach in chapel every week, and that I place a high priority on that. I end up having a fair number of administrative meetings. I meet with my students um, a good bit during the week. I, I've tried to set up personal meetings with them at least three or four times this semester with each one, and so uh, that takes up some time. Um, I have really enjoyed trying to uh, work my way through our directory of friends and call them. I haven't gotten through to all of them. Sometimes I've left messages or had to follow up with emails, but but I've, I've gotten through to a number of them, and that's been a real joy, so I spend some time doing that. 
Um, there are really there's a variety of things. I meet with prospective students. Um, so so there there are a whole range of responsibilities. This um, upcoming uh, week we have our our board meeting. We have two of those. Per year, and of course, I do a lot of work interfacing with the board and with the committees of the board um, directly on a fairly regular basis. So there, there's no there's no one template. There's certainly no one uh, you know activity. Sort of a lot of a lot of things up in the air at once. But um, but but it's a joy. It really is. And and I wouldn't want to do it if I wasn't able to also be with the students. But but I am, and that's. That's a particular privilege. What has your family seemed to enjoy most about the area? I mean, I'm speak from experience. Greenville's a lot different than Philadelphia. So, <laughs> how how has your family enjoyed the place? What what have they seemed to like the most? Each one of us has had a little different adjustment to make. I mean, we're all at different phases of life, obviously. You know, Greenville is a great place to live. I have to say, within a about two weeks, my wife and I realized, boy, we just love it here. And I, and I really wasn't, you know, I didn't know how we would respond because we, we, we have lots of connections to the Philadelphia area. Um, and I grew up there. And so that, that was, it, that felt like home to me, but, um, I don't know if I could cite one thing that we enjoy, but it's a beautiful area. It's a beautiful climate. It's at the foothills. Um, and so it's kind of, it's kind of got this wonderful, almost mountain, climate to it the, the city of greenville if if you've never visited is just uh dynamite i mean it's really taken off in the last 20 years and it's just a lot of fun to explore around there now i have to say that some of these things have been um scaled back in terms of our enjoyment because of because of the restrictions with with covid19 and so you know we're, we probably haven't been able to embrace everything as much as we would have if we had moved last year or 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 maybe if we had moved it 2 years from now but um but no you know the culture the 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 climate the city the people i mean all of these things for me have just been have been great. I mean, you know, Zach, because we talk about it. We're both from the Philadelphia area, and we we uh, probably will never stop being Phillies fans, but but we probably also want to stay in Greenville as long as we can. That's right. I mean, I not since ever since they blew up Veterans uh, Stadium, I've really you know that was not, a turning point for you. You know, it was a big turning point for me because I mean. Was there a better stadium that existed? I mean, it was like gigantic concrete coliseum. It was like with, a prison. With, with its own, exactly, with its own holding cell. It was beautiful. <laughs> it was It was something. It, it was, was something. a monstrosity. Watching it get blown up was so cathartic. Uh, but I did love sitting in that 800 section, like up a <laughs> mile high up in the sky. Yep, I spent uh, many afternoons there too. Now, nah, uh, you know, Dr. Master, you and I have spoken about this. I love Greenville, South Carolina. Living here has been such a blessing to me and in many ways an answer to prayer. And I, I love Philadelphia, don't get me wrong. And it, it grieves me to see what's going on there currently with these protests uh, and and riots, even and all the looting, but um, but I'm really grateful to be here, and I'm glad you're here with us too. I guess I have one last very important question uh, related to Philadelphia, even to close this out here. Do you think that pimento cheese belongs on a Philly cheesesteak? Well, it's an interesting question, and I wouldn't have been able to answer it without your help. Uh, <laughs> for our listeners, 
inside jokes on podcasts are are, are uh, they're the best. They're not not always the best <laughs> listening, but but no. What what Zach did, and Zach had this idea that we take pimento cheese, which is a sort great of great idea, mind you. It was it was an idea of Zach's <laughs> to take pimento cheese, which is a sort of South Carolina thing, and to go to this one cheesesteak place that's about forty five minutes away that has, I would say, fairly authentic. It's the real deal, man. Yeah, it's the real deal. Fairly authentic Philly cheesesteaks is authentic as you're going to get. And and he said maybe we can sort of bring North and South together and put pimento cheese on a cheesesteak and a I unifier. Would, I would say I would say it was. I hesitate to call anything a, a, a total failure, but. This this was close. You know, I argued that we just did it wrong. Like, we, we plopped the cheese on there and worked it into the meat after the sandwich had already been put together. I think if you cooked the cheese, the pimento cheese, into the cheesesteak, like you're supposed to do with uh, either provolone or with whiz or whatever, then I think it, it would actually turn out really good. And that's what Karen from the Alliance told me that she had done that. You know, she lives in South Jersey, and she actually made the cheesesteak with the pimento cheese, and it was delicious. And so she said, you can't just plop it on there like a wet sock and expect it to be good. And I think she's right. I, well, I think it's worth another shot, man. I, I, I trust Karen. I really do. I mean, that that gives me a little bit of hope. But I would say our first, our first go-around uh, wasn't maybe executed. I'll give you that. I'll give you that. It just means we have to try it again in a different way, lest we go insane. Well, this has been a great interview. I've enjoyed it. I hope our listeners have enjoyed it. And 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 I hope that if you're listening and you are a friend of the seminaries or you're interested in the seminary, I hope you get to know Dr. Master. He's really been a delight to work with. And um, I've really grown to admire him in the short period of time, just the last couple of years that I've known him. And now to have the privilege of working with him and with Dr. Piper and the rest of the faculty, uh, it's really, I couldn't ask for a better setup, to be honest, here in the freest place on earth in 2020, Greenville, South Carolina. Dr. Master, thank you for joining me. Thanks, Zach. Thank you for listening to this edition of Confessing Our Hope, the podcast of Greenville Presbyterian Theological Seminary. To help ensure that we can continue to produce content from a Reformed and confessional Presbyterian perspective, please consider making a gift of support in any amount at gpts.edu donate. For more information about Greenville Presbyterian Theological Seminary, please visit gpts.edu.